So, this morning's scripture is probably familiar. (laughs) In fact, if you've spent any time in the church, or especially grew up in the church, you probably know that these are the Ten Commandments that Moses gives the people of Israel. You might have remembered them at some time in your life, and you probably have forgotten one or two of them as you try to list them off to someone in a Bible trivia class. But as I listened to it and prayed over it in preparation for this morning's sermon, there's a number of things that stood out to me. But one of, the, one of which was as I was uh, spending this past week, I'm on the Board of Ordained Ministries for the United Methodist Church in the Calpac region. It's a, a fancy word if you're not used to uh, Methodist lingo. The Board of Ordained Ministries is a group of clergy that um, gather together to help people through and determine whether or not they're ready for ordained ministry. And so a part of that is narrating our theology and ministry within this branch of the church that we call Methodism. And friends, I grew up not Methodist. Actually, you know, some of you know that I didn't grow up in the church, and then I found my way into the Methodist church via Duke Divinity School, and so I'm still a relatively young Methodist. But one of the things that I was determining while in Divinity School is where will I sort of land in my denominational faith and tradition? And what sort of perspective will I take? And a lot of that had already been formed through my classes and my beliefs and the way I met God. But as far as like choosing a community, I hadn't done that yet. And so literally I found myself kind of looking at some of the theologies, which is now why I'm excited to be on the Board of Ordained Ministries, helping people know really what it is. Because they may have grown up in a Methodist context, but their theology might not be all that Methodist. And what what do I mean by that? Well, I mean that sometimes where you grew up, that community doesn't always reflect the the belief structure. And Methodists in particular are known for being kind of the chameleon denomination that takes on shapes and sizes of those around it. So in one context, you might find us as being very Baptist. And in other context, you might find us being very Episcopalian. And, And that's kind of okay because we don't really have these like really strong, firm, like, A, B, C, D, like all of those what's called systematic theology of what we believe. Instead, we have what's called a practical theology. And that's actually one of the things that I found fascinating and, you know, um, enticing about the Methodist church. But one of our practical theologies is that we balance individual belief and communal belief. That we think that it's both important in our Christian journey to have an individual faith and a communal practice and faith. If you want to know what I mean by that, open up your Bibles. Look at the Ten Commandments. And you will see within the Ten Commandments the balance that I'm referring to. One of the things that is evident within this scripture is that God calls us God's people. You are my people is a refrain that is spoken over and over again. And that's speaking to all of Israel, but that's speaking to you. And we've talked about this. We talked about the sign of God's love, the rainbow. We talked about uh, last week and kind of trying to control God's name, but God loves each and every individual. God loves you and has chosen you to be God's people. 
that God was the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And you are welcomed into that story. And how do you do that? Well, look at the first few commandments. First few commandments revolve around this love of God. Thou shalt have no other idols before me. Thou shalt not use my name in vain. Thou shalt worship the one, the only, the Lord your God. As Methodists, we have what's called a responsive faith, which means that God's grace comes to us, and if you know, I have a mantra, and it says, whether you like it, know it, believe it or not, God's love is for you, and the work of Jesus Christ has already been working in you prior to any understanding, belief, whether you like, know, or believe it. And God gets to invite us, you, to respond to that, to work with that grace in your life. So our faith is personal. It's not just showing up to church and doing the motions. It's not just following a prescribed list, so to speak, the commandments. Because that actually is not what I think the commandments are about some sort of moral high ground that we can hold upon other people, that you must do this, that, and the other. But the first invitation of it is the invitation to love God and respond to a God who has already chosen you. You are my people, God says. And already, even before they received the commandments and the expectations that are to follow, God had already done the work of love for God's people, brought them out of Egypt, freed them from slavery, sustained them against their enemies, and called them God's people, and then told them what it looked like to be that people in practical living. You are chosen and given the opportunity to respond. But there is another component And kind of the second half, if you want to go into the Ten Commandments, some of the list things, you know, do not murder, do not covet, do not steal, honor your father and mother. Those commandments reflect the communal call to follow God. That you are God's people is an individual invitation for you, but it also involves loving our neighbors. Loving our community. <laughs> Shouldn't be unto, uh, too surprising, uh, and it wasn't to the Pharisees who heard Jesus respond, what is the greatest commandment of all? Thinking that he might list off one of the ten of the ten commandments. But instead, Jesus says, love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Unto this, all of the laws of the prophets hang, Jesus told the Pharisees. And that was not a shock to them. (laughs) They knew that. Love the Lord your God and your neighbor. It was built into the fabric of the Ten Commandments. And truth be told, that's what it means to be a community. See, some of us hear the Ten Commandments in kind of two vantage points. One is comfort around actual rules in life. Because I know we got some rule followers out there. 
you take a sort of like this comfort and ease of knowing that there is something that we can fall back on, something that we know is set, a boundary of what this looks like. And then there's the others of us that do not like boundaries and lines drawn at all, right? It's like, why would God draw a line or a boundary of God's love to be God's people. That's not how God works. And that makes the rule followers on this side get really uneasy. And then when the boundary, people that don't like the boundary hear the rule followers, they get really uneasy. But boundaries are important, whether you like them or not. But they're not, remember, about some sort of moral high ground. Boundaries are about community. I remember a difficult conversation I had with a friend who was involved in one of my ministries. And the thing is, uh, is that this friend had been going through a lot, and a lot had been going on in that person's life, and um, ended up making a uh, sort of a, a moral failure, you might call it. And I had to sit down with that friend, because they were involved in a, a sort of a leadership-intensive small group, and, and we were together, and I ended up having to talk to them and say, you know... Maybe now is not the best time to be part of this community. Not because you're a bad person and this has some sort of standard of right and wrong, but because we are a community. And the moral failing really involved that community. In fact, it kind of broke it apart a little bit. And so that was a really hard conversation, probably the hardest conversation I've had to have as a pastor, period, telling someone now is not the time to be involved in this, not because you're bad, but because your actions fractured the community. This may be really surprising to you because I talk about God's love and grace all the time, but I actually uh, believe that the church, if we were the church, would retain some practices from old that many of us are really uncomfortable with. One of those practices would be the practice of excommunication. <laughs> I know, if you grew up Roman Catholic, you might be already kind of guard barriers up because of whatever had happened. But take aside that for a minute. The church is about gathering around the table like the disciples with friends. And when friends gather around the table, and then when friends steal from one another, lie to each other, when friends do these things to one another, it breaks apart the community. Excommunication is a name that's given to the fracture of a communion table. And the process that's involved to heal and to mend those fractures. But friends, it is archaic for us in the 21st century because for most of us, the communion table of Sunday mornings doesn't really mean intimate friendships with those we gather around. In fact, I think that that's one of the benefits out of this time in the church. You know, we're not able to gather in this superficial, well, not always superficial, but it can be superficial way where we just come to church on Sundays and we partake in the Holy Eucharist. But I know many of us are getting together in pockets. And that, I, that's fine if you're comfortable with that. And in fact, I think that that reflects the church, which is the table of Christ. 
that the power of the communion table is only there insofar as the communities of the church gather together. Because when we wrong each other, it hurts us. And a professor once said to me, your communion is not communion if you can commit one of the Ten Commandments and it does against a brother or sister in your communion and it doesn't affect the community. So if I can lie to someone and tell them something totally false about my life or if I can steal from that person and still come to church with all the same people, communion might not be what we think it is. Because communion ought to be intimate at the same time. Friends gathering around the table. That's why I think small groups and Bible studies and getting together with friends is important. And friends, that's something we can live out now. And it's an important component of our faith. Whether it's the Wednesday morning women's Zoom call, whether it's calling one of our friends from our Christian community, the church, or whether it's safely gathering at the beach or at a park, We're called to a life together to love one another, to have these intimate bonds of friendship as we also worship God. And so even as we still are limited with restrictions and in person and when we're in back, we're not able to do fellowship the way that we are, you can still live out the church, the communion table, throughout your week, by reaching out to your church family, your ohana, getting together with them, praying with them, having fun together, and not (laughs) committing adultery and stealing and all of those other things. Love God, love your neighbor. This week, I invite you to read the Ten Commandments to reflect on your community faithful practice as well as your personal faithful practice. And I know many of us are taking on personal endeavors throughout Lent. But how does that also lead you to love God as a community? And that's difficult with COVID, but I believe we can do it. I invite you to pray with me. Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks for your communion table.